Today's special strep throat episode of the BS Podcast is brought to you by SeatGeek, our presenting sponsor since 1948. We're taping this on the Friday before Super Bowl weekend. There are still some great deals for tickets. SeatGeek can help you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed with their revolutionary grading system and a team of ticket concierge experts that are a phone call away with free advice. Download the SeatGeek app today and get your tickets to see my Patriots. Take on the Falcons in Houston or check out their Super Bowl tracker on SeatGeek.com. We're also brought to you by Stamps.com, our old friend. It's almost Valentine's Day. That means you might have to mail some stuff, whether it's chocolates, lingerie, or a seven-page long letter begging your ex to take you back. Avoid the post office during the holidays. Buy and print official U.S. postage with your own computer and printer. Sign up for Stamps.com. Use promo code BS for a four-week trial. That includes postage and a digital scale. Click on the microphone at the top of the stamps.com homepage. Type in BS. And we are brought to you by TheRinger.com. Go there and check out all of our written audio and video content for the Super Bowl because there's a lot of it. Even a piece about the commissioner written by Brian Curtis, who's here right now. What? Say hi, Brian. Hey. Um, I have some bad news, though. My Friday mailbag is not going to be part of this great Super Bowl content. I got annihilated by strep throat this week. And I have two weaknesses as a writer, Brian. I'm a terrible typist. I type with two fingers. <laughs> it's like it's almost like if I was a basketball player, if I had like the torn left ACL that it was like how oh he jumped so much higher before the ACL. Me, for me, that's two yeah. finger typing. It just takes me two hours longer to write anything than anyone else. And I can't write when I'm really sick. Ugh. I've always been envious of writers who can write when I'm when I'm sick, I'm just I'm just incapacitated. You're done. And I tried to write a mailbag yesterday, and it was terrible, and my brain wasn't working, and I quit. I just quit like Roberto Duran. <laughs> so no piece for me this week. I'll make up for it. Uh, thank God we had so many other good pieces on the ringer this week. And we did post two podcasts this week, Super Bowl Props with Mike Lombardi and Cousin Sal, and we did our White Men Can't Jump podcast for the Sports Movie Hall of Fame series. That included the greatest hot take of Chris Ryan's career about New Jack City. I won't spoil it for you. Uh, it... it Doubled rim over. He almost fell off the couch. Where do you stand on White Man Ketchup? Um, well, conflicted, tried, right? Yeah, conflicted. Yeah, tried to rewatch it on some on basic cable the other day and was kind of. I was in for first, about twenty minutes. Yeah, first great 30, 35, 40 yeah. minutes, and then it, yeah, I petered out. Uh, today's podcast will be fun. We're gonna have a bunch of people talking about the Super Bowl, but first, Brian Curtis. Um, we're gonna talk about the end of Chris Berman's career and some media stuff and some Super Bowl stuff. And as an added bonus for you guys, I'm on more medication right now than Brett Favre during the entire 1994 season. So God knows what's going to happen today. Tate, don't edit anything. Maybe this will be the end of my career. Let's do it. All right. In the office, editor at large for The Ringer, Brian Curtis. Here we are. Here we are. Hi, Bill. Super Bowl. Woo. Give us your your uh, unaffected take on the Patriots. I feel like you're a very impartial man. Yeah, you're you're, my, you're very since, not swayed since by my anything. Cowboys, as Skip Bayless would say. Your Cowboys lost a couple weeks ago. I've yes. been kind of you know you know when your team loses, you go into super like nonpartisan mode, right? Yeah, I'm a, I'm an honest broker here. Right. Um, I think the Patriots going to win the game. I did too. I can't talk myself into picking. I would kind of personally like the Patriots to lose the game. I'm going to be honest. But I can't talk myself in the Falcons. I've tried. Can't do it. I, I tried to follow all the logical steps of hedging in every direction and not trying to seem overconfident and all that stuff. And I just keep coming back to the fact that every time the Patriots have ever gotten in trouble in a playoff game, 
it was because the other team just pressured Brady, knocked him down, hit him, got in his face, was able to pressure him with four or five guys and cover everybody else. And I just don't think the Falcons can do it. No. And I didn't think the Steelers could do it. I thought the ironically the Texans probably had the best chance of any of the playoff teams because they at least had a front seven that could move some stuff. But if they're going to just be sending blitzes at him from different directions, he's Tom Brady. He stands at the line. He's like, Oh, you're doing this. All right. And he calls a couple things and totally Peyton Manning was the same way. Rogers is the same way. There's certain guys. If they have a good offensive line and they know what these weird, you know, gimmick things you're going to do. He's just going to figure it out. So the Falcons are going to have to outscore him. Right. I have this vision just to be like two years ago where Julian Edelman is catching four yard passes and running out of bounds and they're just whittling them down and whittling them down and right. going down the field. And then you look up and go, oh, they're up by 14 and it's in the fourth quarter. Right. And this game's over. That's, and I, that's how it feels. Gonna I think this is a good Patriots team. It's a, it's not having Gronk is tough. It's the, it's the one, it's my one hesitation. I may or may not have, my dad is in town. I may or may not have watched the entire Super Bowl uh, two years ago with him last night, <laughs> which was. Uh, That's the most unsurprising thing I've heard. Yeah. Today. I put it on. I was kind of waiting for him to go, no, no, come on. But he was like, oh. And we watched from basically when the Pats scored to make it 14 to 7 and near the end of the second half. And then Seattle gets this really cheap touchdown at the end of the second half right. because Jamie Collins screws up on Russell Wilson coming around. And we're watching it. We're getting mad at Jamie Collins. Like, this game happened. Do you watch these games <laughs> where you're getting mad at the players? That's what I was going to ask. Like, you. oh, my God, why is Logan Ryan so far off this guy? Did you get nervous again? Yeah, of course. Right? The curse catch. It's like 60% of what you felt the first time, right? It's kind of like... Nah, it's like 80. It, oh, it's that high. It, it, it brings you back. It's like you. It's like getting like war flashbacks when you're at war. <laughs> like the curse catch is so incredible. And then, you know, they, everyone's trying to make sense of it. And, and then they, immediately they roll out the Tyree clip. And my dad's sitting in his chair. He's got his pillow and his ginger. He's like, oh, oh, I forgot. Oh, no. Why did they show? And, you know, just... How fast that went, and all of a sudden Butler gets the pick. It's it's an incredible ten minutes. That's what I remember about that. I was you you kindly sent me to the press box for Grantland, and I was sitting in the press oh, box yeah. in that end zone, and I just remember that happening. Re- that whole sequence happening really fast. Incredible and in the press box. The best reporters in sports all being like, "Oh, what's happening?" And then when when there's when Malcolm Butler picks off the ball, people just in the press box just screamed. Yeah, like it was like, "Oh my god." And, you know, just I've never heard people scream in a press box before. And everybody just, ah. I would say it's, is that the most incredible moment in NFL history? Like the most incredible single moment? Just like shocking, maybe shocking moment, right? I mean, it, it decided a Super Bowl. Shock. I would just say shocking moment. You go from the curse catch, which is one of the five most incredible catches in the history of the Super Bowl. Like just the catch itself, the moment, yeah, everything about it. They have to call timeout because it's such a crazy catch, which is weird because then it only left them with one more timeout. True. First down, Lynch runs left side. Hightower barely gets him. It looks like he's just going in. in And I'm watching, when I was watching it live, I'm rooting for him to go in because we had a minute left. All we need is a field goal. Brady's going to come down and win the game. They tackle him, and then they're showing Belichick, and I'm getting flashbacks to being at uh, Jimmy's house, and all of us are going, call timeout. Call timeout. And Belichick's just like looking at the sidelines with that weird. Ba- and I swear to, to the day I die, I, I think he saw something. 
Yeah. I think he knew there was a timeout. I wrote this a couple of days later for and, Graham. And he kind of insisted, and he kind of said, he was very oblique about it, right? But he kind of said that he didn't call timeout he to kind of put pressure on Seahawks, right? He, saw, he said he saw something on the other team on Seattle sideline. He, he saw chaos that they thought the Pats were going to call timeout, and all of a sudden they weren't. And Seattle only had one timeout left. And it made sense for them to pass on that play. And they had practice against a certain pass that Seattle loved all week. And that there's NFL films footage of it where they send, yeah. you know, they, they was like, all right, put in the goal line pass package. They send the guy in. And then when you watch the tape, like Browner's on the left side with, with Butler. Browner's in front of Butler. He motions to Butler to go there. They know what play is coming. It's supposed to be a pick play, but when they snap it, Browner just grabs his guy, yeah. and then Butler shoots for the spot. Like they read the play. It's amazing. I still love remember Al Michaels' voice and passes intercepted by Malcolm Butler. You know, yeah. it's that kind of incredulous, right? I know. Just and, saying the name. And Malcolm Butler has been spectacular for the Pats, but the the Pats fans will understand this joke. The irony of that interception and him catching it, which he's catching a bullet pass where he's creating into somebody. He's, I don't think he's caught more than two more interceptions since that. He's had 40 near interceptions since that, that he hasn't held on to. And for whatever reason, that was the one he held on. But I still think like, I don't know if that's the greatest play in Super Bowl history, but it's got to be the most shocking. It's the most shocking. The helmet catches up there, but the helmet catch didn't decide the Super Bowl. They still have to go down and score and the Pats had a chance to come back. Because the play call was shocking. Play call, call was not. You know, we knew Eli was going to throw a pass, right? Right. The play call was shocking. The result was shocking. And then the the flip of the Super Bowl result, so it was kind of a, it was kind of a three-way shocking moment. Some, one of the channels, I think it was ESPN, had the top 10 Super Bowl plays of all time. They're just rattling them down. So I was in Weinberger's office. We're just like little kids <laughs> just watching. Crack, yeah. So they had like the Riggins play. They had the Marcus Allen play. They had Kevin Dyson getting tackled at the one yard line. The Lynn Swan catch. The helmet catch. Like it really is like 12 or 13 play. 51, 50 Super Bowls at this point. There's. 12 or 13 plays that stand out. And I I just think the Butler play has to be the f- number one. I think I think on the shocking list, absolutely. Yeah. Dyson, that yeah. one didn't get enough credit because I think of the teams. It was, it was Tennessee, it was St. A, Louis. Yeah. If that was like Dallas versus the Giants, we'd be talking, or Dallas against the Raiders or something. Oh, we'd be absolutely. talking about that forever. Yeah. But, you know, they call this really gutty over-the-middle play. And the linebackers just in Dyson's reach in, he just can't get there. I remember at the time it was kind of exciting, right? Watching that Super Bowl, I was kind yeah. of excited. I turned to my friends, I was like, whoa, we just saw a great, we're all kind of trying to convince each other, right? Was that yeah. was that one of the great Super Bowl moments? And then we kind of like two minutes later, we forgot about it. It was a weird season for football because we were coming off this three decade stretch of like mini dynasties. And we had the Steelers and the Cowboys and Raiders. Then it moved into the Niners and the Redskins, and then we had these great individual teams like the Bears and the Giants. Sure. And then the, the Parcel Giants peter out. Now you have the Cowboys. Now the Niners come back. Now you have this Broncos and the Packers. And, and then also I was like, the Rams? Right. What is this team? And we were getting re- we were getting used to there's not going to be like this dynasty anymore. It's all yeah. Pads, right. It's not gonna. Right. It's not gonna happen like that anymore. We're gonna get some Bucks Super Bowl wins and some weird Ravens one offs. Yeah, it seemed like we were headed toward. A one-off error, and then all of a sudden that flipped, and then it was like we had this little stretch from 01 to like 04, where it was like the Pats, the Steelers, yeah, the Colts, every year, the Eagles, and it was like the same teams that were going 13, 3, 14, 2, and then it was chaos again. I think 
the biggest advantage that the Pats have had, other than obviously having the best coach and the best quarterback of all time, is just that Brady is the same thing with Duncan, with San Antonio, where when he's taking less money and you can put that money toward two or three more guys and they're spending it smartly, they always seem to have these four extra guys that nobody has, you know? It's incredible, right? It's so, just maddening. It's so it. maddening if you're not a Pats fan. I know. They've it's mastered like, oh, wait, it. We were paying Tony Romo $25 million. Right. And or, or like New Orleans is paying Breeze $26 million or whatever it is. that's the price of doing business. And Flacco's $20 million and, and Brady's, Brady's making nine, yeah. you know? And he can do it because he's Tom Brady and he's rich, but um, a huge advantage. So Dallas, I mean, we don't have to talk about Dallas. Yeah, it was a found money year. I'm okay. It was good. You had a good okay. foundation. Yeah. Two wasn't good that, young wasn't guys. That dis- wasn't that disappointed? Was the whole- there a moment in the in the Packers game when you were like, Romo would have won this? No. Okay, never. Good. Ever. Good. I didn't think, I don't think I thought Tony Romo's name that entire game. I really good. didn't think I had Tony Romo's name after we, I'd only think of Tony Romo's name when I'd listen to you and Sal. He was like the last I, person well, he, talking about Tony he Romo. He was like the last guy in the bandwagon. <laughs> the bandwagon was on the side of the road. It's, it sounds like it was like a motorbike with an empty the side starter car. Yeah, trying to get it going. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's talk about Chris Berman. Let's. So, I feel like we're we're well equipped to have this conversation in a very impartial way. He is somebody that I actually think is underrated. He has become underrated. He became underrated about. 10 years ago. And I think, you know, he's somebody that depending on your age range, you have different feelings about. I think if you're under 26, there's only a a certain era of Chris Berman's career you're going to remember. And that's going to affect how you think of him. Can we also just note the moment it turned? Will Leach, Deadspin, you're with me leather. That's Oh yeah. What was that? 10 years ago? 11? Maybe more. I mean, that's, that's the moment to me he became a joke. That's the moment the rain cloud goes over Berman's head, and it never goes away at that point, right? It's like, do you this th- is a how guy many people we knew? Make. How many people knew about that though? I, I do web, feel like that a, was there's a, a website called With Leather, right? I mean, it's like that but was, was a that big, but like my dad didn't know about that. No, I, but, I wouldn't but, say mainstream. People but the knew internet, about it. but the internet, internet knew turned about it. on Berman, Got as you. you as we know. Yep. Then you're good. At that right. point, it's it's tough to climb out of that hole. Yep, it really is. But yep. to me, that was the moment. That was the everything turned. There's two moments. Two moments that killed Chris Berman. That the and that and the internet generally, and then the rights deal in 2005, where ESPN loses Sunday Night Football and gets Monday Night Football in prime time, gets blasted in the deal, which is really one of the things that nobody really talked about when they were talking about the end of Berman. Berman was a victim of a rights deal. That was like the most disastrous deal in ESPN history. It was Al Michaels, John Madden, Essakoff, and Gadelli, and prime time all walk out the door. Right. I mean, just think of that. Well, and you, and you left out the reason why it happened. Go for it. Iger could have had Sunday and Monday night football. <laughs> right, right. For a pretty, I think for like a discount. And they had, it was coming off year one of Desperate Housewives, which was a massive hit. And they didn't want to shake up their Sunday night lineup. And their attitude was, well, we don't need, we don't need Sunday night football. We have Desperate Housewives. And it was a misread. Right. It, and Iger is a really smart guy. It's the number one rated show on television. Sunday yeah. Night Football. Yeah. yeah. But here, here's the idea. Move Desperate Housewives to Thursday. <laughs> They'll be fine. We'll go find them on Wednesday. And he could have had a monopoly on football. And so it does two things, right? It saves NBC. Because at that point, NBC is in the post-Friends 
end of end of VR kind of spiral, and, and they got they out have, of sports, and, and they, they were out of sports. Into, they get back into sports with a vengeance. Yeah, they steal out Michaels. They build up. They get the, Madden. They yeah, they the get last Madden, four years of Madden, and then they get Collinsworth, and it's like, you know, and I. So that part's a disaster. But then also they get the shittier version of Monday Night Football. Now, I said this. I did an interview with Recode this week. And I was talking about, I think ESPN gets a bad rap for the NFL deal in some respects. And the NBA deal, too. Because what people don't realize is they get unlimited highlights for TV, the web, everything. And if you don't think unlimited highlights matter, try watching NFL insiders on a Tuesday if they can't use video <laughs> clips of the NFL. Photos. Yeah. Hey, here's still. a still photo of Zeke Elliott. It's a disaster. So that's they care about the unlimited highlights, but um the Monday Night Football became kind of the black sheep game of of uh of that whole package and Sunday night was stacked and it could be flexed. Like you would much rather have Sunday night football. Yeah. And they lost their, I mean, I think there's a line in Jim Miller's book where Berman says, I mean, we're going, you know, it dawns on Berman. Like, wait a second, we lost prime time in this deal. Right. And we lost my show. Yeah. And that was the show. So there's a couple things with Berman. One is that, you know, and I think this happens with music. It happens with comedy. It happens with writing. It happens with anything. It's really hard to measure the impact of when somebody was trying to do something new in the moment, because once they do it, then other people replicate it. People take it to higher places, stuff like that. Like Jimmy Snuka is a good example. <laughs> Jimmy Snuka's leap. Jimmy Snuka died and definitely had conflicted yeah. life. And people were really like conflicted about complicated legacy. Yeah. Really great chance that he murdered somebody. <laughs> and that was right. a big reason why he never became the champ. But, uh, his leap off the steel cage against Bob Backlund, and then when he replicated again the next year against the magnificent Morocco, was the greatest two moments in wrestling history. And it was like, you know, unforgettable. It opened the sport. Now it opened the sport up to guys jumping off the top rope, guys doing all the acrobatic stuff. Sure. And when you watch the snooker leap now, it's like, oh yeah, he jumped off the steel cage. Like Mick Foley fell through a steel cage <laughs> 40 feet. Like it doesn't seem time, that amazing. It was revolutionary. At the time, it was the most awe-inspiring thing anybody had ever seen. If you watch the crowd, when he does it and he turns around and he puts his fingers up, the crowd like loses their fucking mind. They're like, <laughs> oh my God, he's going to jump. Jesus Christ, he's going to get hurt. And I, you know that's what Berman's highlights were like. Sports TV was so bad in the 70s and 80s. And you know you had these guys, and some of them are still... I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but you'll still maybe in LA you might see one or two relics of these guys from the seventies. But it was like, that's right, Brian. A tough day for the Angels today, as they lost seven to two. And here are the highlights. And, and that's how people did sports television. And they knew nothing about sports. And they knew nothing. They Berm, didn't. Berman knew, knew knew who the football players were. Yeah, and right. it's like, guess what? In the late eighties. I love the Berman's nicknames. Yes. We're old enough to remember when that was absolutely revolutionary. It was and great. And local TV. And local TV, by the way, you had three minutes. Yeah. You had three minutes. Right? And then maybe you had like the little sports extra on Sunday. And here's this dude. And he has like hours. And he's with you for the draft for hours and hours and hours and hours, you know? And he was entertaining. And, you know, I remember when he did Eric Sleeping with Enemy. That, that's so I remember way. calling my buddy Gus and being like, Berman just did Eric Sleeping with Enemy. That's the greatest one that we're arguing about what is best. It was ever. worth a phone call. Yeah. There was some. So the, the nicknames thing is kind of funny, right? Because there's there's the high level Berman. Oh, to be young again, McDowell is that that's very quality Berman. Right. right? Eric Sleeping with Enemy. Yes. Right. And then there's, you know. Like, you know, Frank Tanana Daiquiri, wasn't that one of them, right? Yeah, that's just... See, I kind of like that. Just kind of a... <laughs> what about Jim Two Shades on the Shades or whatever? Like, yeah, they got terrible. 
Looking around the internet last night, I found Ozzy like a Virgil. Did not remember that one. <laughs> no. Berman was like a weird, it's like weird how much pop culture that dude hoovered up. Yeah. Like he was, he, he was like, he was like Mr. Pop culture, you know, like in a bizarre way. Right. He was, you know, and a lot of it was sixties, you know, making fun of like Sergeant Schultz and Green Acres. David but that was Green the, Acres. Right. But that was the funny thing is his pop culture stopped in like 1979. But, but, but then there was like a Madonna. I think it actually crawled up to like, Oh, you think 82? Yeah. It made like that, you know, first ever mammal crawl out of the ooze to like yeah. 1989 and then it died. Right. Maybe something yeah, like no, that. No, I wouldn't say eighty nine. I would say like eighty two. <laughs> to your point about the Snook- Eagles was like his. Yeah, the Eagles. Yeah, the um, Teach. Teach. <laughs> One team that didn't take it easy but today. My, Michael Jackson made it right with a hee hee. So at least oh, yeah, we're yeah. in the eighties. Right, eighty four. Right? We get into the eighties. Yeah, a little bit. There was a lot of Cab Calloway too. So that wasn't exactly. That wasn't exactly fresh in nineteen eighty nine. Sergeant Schultz. Who get? Hey, do you know Sergeant Schultz is? No. Okay. I mean, for um, Bill and I, that was a UHF rerun. So I no barely, way. yeah, I barely we got were, it. We were, at the end of the, we were at the end of the Sergeant Schultz yeah. era. I think to your point about Jimmy Snook is interesting, right? Wrestling, but here's why we can, I think, kind of think about Berman, wrap our minds around him. Wrestling is going to go on and get crazier and crazier and crazier in, into infinity, right? The highlight era is over. Yeah. By which I mean, we're still going to have highlight shows, but nobody's going to become famous doing sports highlights anymore. True. They might be famous for studio show, argument show, whatever. They're not going to be famous for that. So I think we can cap it, right? We know we can now look back and say we have the whole highlight era in f- behind us right now. Yes. And to me, highlight Rushmore, Chris Berman, Keith Olbermann, and Dan Patrick. And I think it's a three-man Rushmore. I would say Kilborn. You think Kilborn? Yeah, I really? do. Really? Did, doing... Did he do it long enough? Kilborn doing NBA highlights at two in the morning when I was drunk and <laughs> I was gonna say, eating this is like the a Bill's burrito. Sweet spot. No, there was there. He had one year where he's like I mean, the he Pooh would, Richardson stuff. I, I just I, there was nothing better than him for like nine months. So is he our fourth? I would say he's the fourth. Yeah. I don't think so. I, I think know. he was really good. Unless you I, put, could you put Oberman and Patrick together? So I would do Kilborn and then Stu Scott is the fourth. But I think the first three are are on the. On a slightly, I mean, I just think yeah, they, I they created the language in a way. Yeah, those guys created some of the language. But I think Stu were, was super important for just like, hey, it's a black guy doing highlights. Like, Absolutely. and ESPN just wasn't. Everybody was white. It was a white nerdy guy was the model. Yeah, right. But I think like I just think if you listen to Patrick and Albert when we're on this documentary last night that ESPN ran yeah, about Burn, which we should talk about too. Talk about but when they talk about like he was a guy who was at ESPN when nobody wanted to be at ESPN and yep. when it was a cult thing. That's like, that's a word that Alberman used. And then they could come in and do their thing. My buddy Josh Levine had a great thing where he got, where he said, Alberman and Patrick were Letterman. Berman was Leno. Right? True. That's the difference. It's a guy to get an analogy. He was mainstream, right? He was, he was, but like he was Leno, right down Le- the middle. Leno was great. Leno on was Letterman funny in the 80s, 80s yeah. right? And we forget. Yeah. We forget. I still think even when Berman, you know, when he kind of became Arrested Development Berman, not the TV show, but literally Arrested <laughs> Development. <laughs> I was going to say. I still think him doing highlights of a good football game, I still enjoyed more than anyone else doing the highlights. Absolutely. Like even in like 2015, if you said there was this awesome game and there's four minutes of highlights, who would you want to do the highlights? I'd say Chris Berman. And people were just so mad at him on the internet. Well, I mean, remember, he, remember he used to it was like, what a disgrace that Chris Berman is doing a Monday night game again. I, I was like, really? You mean the, the broadcast that Howard Cosell showed up on drunk? Right. This is Chris Berman's going to disgrace it by doing right. lousy play by play. Okay. Sure. It, you know, oh, he should get off that first day of the draft. Well, the draft? Really? There's going to be some, I'm okay with Chris Berman. I know, but here's the thing, though. I I was okay with it. 
I blame ESPN for some of that stuff. I think they could have protected him. He shouldn't have announced football games. He he just wasn't he wasn't good at it, and people just want to watch a football game. They don't care who the announcers are unless the announcers are annoying them. But I just think it became a thing to be mad at oh, him for announcing a game. Yeah, was yeah. you were you really that upset? God, no, can we get Tom Brenneman in here? I mean, really, can we get some get a professional? Well, you know oh, me, I, I love when Berman did the games because it was like it was all it was over the mess, place. Yeah. He's missing plays. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. The home run derby he did ruin. I mean, there he unequivocally did ruin the home run derby. <laughs> Wait, but what was the he golden made it era? Impossible of, to watch. What was the golden era of home run derby? And I mean, who's going to do it next year? Who would you like to see do the home run? Well, that's derby? the thing. The home run derby has always been this, terrible. This hallowed, you know, event with so much gravitas in American I would have life. Comedians do it. Okay, but Berman was kind of like a like a sportscaster bad comedian. But and then the draft, you know, they they did a couple mistakes with them. One is that he would know the picks <laughs> and, and pretend he did, and he'd be like, "Oh, and teach off." We'll see if there's maybe a tight end that they're looking at here. <laughs> and then the guy will come up the and wink. say tight end. I'm like, yeah, because Berman fucking knew already. Wink, wink. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I thought that was the one place where the NFL network really exposed them because Eisen was so much better at the draft than Berman was. I think there was a way you can find Berman to the football highlights, the occasional sports center, the Swami, all that stuff. But don't put him in positions where he's going to fail. And I think they did that a few he's times. He's a highlight guy. And this in that documentary last night, it gets to the thirty minute mark, and they've just done prime time. They did Sports Center, Prime Time, and then it was kind of like there was nothing else to say. And that's okay. But that's Chris Berman, right? right. That's it. Right. That's the legacy. You know, right. that's that's him. But part of management is putting your people in in positions to succeed, right? Like they yeah. did this with me. They PTI, I hosted for a week. I was terrified. I did not have enough reps to do it. I didn't know what I was doing and I fought through it. I took all the hits and eventually I got better at it, but that's not how we should have done it. I should have done, you know, I should have gone back to Bristol and done, Oh, you know, some more low profile shows, things like that. And I think sometimes when you're put in a position to fail, you're going to fail, you know? And with With Berman, it's like, don't put him in a position to do things he's bad at. But it was from a totally different place with him, right? Because he was just so big. because he's like, I want to do this. That was part of his thing, right? Well, that's the thing is he became so big that nobody could stand up to him. Yeah. And this is another thing we forget about Berman that they meant to, Olbermann mentioned a little bit last night. He was cable, right, in the 80s. Yeah. There was, I read an old SI profile last night where, he was talking about like it, there was a time, I think it was 89 right before Brent Musburger got fired. There were three guys doing NFL pregame shows. Remember, remember when there were only three NFL pregame oh, yeah. shows? Remember those, remember those days, Bill, Brent Musburger on CBS, Bob Costas on NBC and Chris. And he was Mr. Those guys were respectable. They were network. Chris was cable, right? Right. He was like bargain basement cable. And that was different. And, the, and the, now that's, it's kind of all one thing, you know, it's all kind of one aesthetic, but in those days like that, he was different. You know, he felt I, like he was from a different place than those guys. And I also think when, when you're in middle Connecticut and you're by far the most famous person there <laughs> and you are, I'm, you know, he's basically like if Jay-Z walked into a restaurant in LA, that's what Berman's like. Anytime he goes anywhere in Connecticut and you get that for 30 years and you know, you start, your ego gets to a certain point and I don't know. I, I think the last 15 years of his career could have been managed better, but I still think he's the most important ESPN person ever. He did an incredible amount for, for the uh, charity slash cancer, Jimmy V, all that stuff. Like was a huge, huge asset for them and that stuff. And I ne- it's funny. I never met him until the 2013 ESPYs that uh, 
that John Hamm hosted. There's this post, post, post party at the Hotel Figaro. Did I ever tell you this story? No. So I have I have a few in me. <laughs> it's like 12, 31 o'clock and Berman's there and he's a giant guy. Yeah. So I go up to him and first I'm talking to him. I'm like, should I go up to him? I've never talked to him. I don't know because I've made a couple jokes about him in a calm. He's going to be mad at me. So they're like, go up to him. He's a good guy. Go up to him. So I go up to him I'm like, hey, I'm... Bill Simmons and you know me, whatever. And he's like, oh, so you're Bill Simmons. He started like that. I'm like, oh God, I'm going to get punched. And we just had this great conversation for 15 minutes. And I got the feeling like, you know, I was definitely like a kiss the ring moment where I was, you sure. know, and I went up to, I was just like, look, man, you know, I, ESPN's been great to me. This was 2013. I still loved working there at that point. Um, and I was like, you know, I've, I've, I've done a lot of great stuff at this place, but you know, I really respect all the stuff you did to help build ESPN to the place where it gave somebody like me a chance to do some stuff. And we had a really nice conversation and I was, and at the end of it, I was like, can I email you? Like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I don't have email. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, what? Please fax me. Yeah. He's, I was like, I thought that was an urban legend. You, you really don't have email. I was like, I don't have email. Uh, when I when I want to get information for the Swami, I just I make phone calls. I go down the list. I do it old school. <laughs> you killed like Ralph Wilson to get I, information. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at him like, you know, I, I just couldn't believe it. And then in the documentary, they talk about how he's still faxing. It's like, how do you not have email? Yeah, that is. I think that's like the craziest Chris Berman part. I tried to get him for peace once at ESPN when we were at Grantland. Yeah. This is a true story. It was harder to get Berman than it was to get Don Rumsfeld. This is <laughs> the literal apples to apples comparison. Yeah. Don Rumsfeld took two days and Berman took like a week and a half. They did a nice job of hiding him in that stuff. But he was just kind of, and when you could get him, it was on a car phone and he was driving around and he was, you know, just doing stream of consciousness. And it was great once you got him, but he was, yeah, he was inaccessible. It's very funny. We're going to talk about the documentary in one, in one second, but first... If you love watching bad cable movies like I do, do you like bad cable movies? Oh, absolutely. You know home invasion plots. Mm. They're on the rise. Why? Because <laughs> the plots are on the rise? Sorry, Bill. The, the home, home invasion home plots. <laughs> Why are they on the rise? Because Hollywood knows people aren't great about keeping their home safe. And that's weird because it should be the highest of high priorities. If you do want to keep your home safe, that doesn't mean it should come at the expense of signing your life away in a confusing long-term security contract. Thankfully... There's a smarter, more trustworthy way to protect your home. Simply Safe Home Security with Simply Safe. No annual contracts, no middlemen. You get superior protection for less than half of what traditional companies charge. Built by a Harvard educated engineer to make you safer, Simply Safe provides professional monitoring with police dispatch. So your home is safe around the clock. Plus, it's wireless and portable with a cellular connection. Cellular is a word I could never say. Cellular. Cellular. That's a Boston thing. Yeah. So there are no lines that can be cut by potential intruders like they do in every movie. Best of all, with Simply Safe, 24-7 protection is just 15 bucks a month. Almost a third of what most places charge. Unbeatable protection. Great value. No contracts. Where do you sign up? Protect your home the smart way. Visit simplysafe.com slash ringer to get 10% off your system today. That's Simply Safe with two eyes. Simplysafe.com slash ringer. All right. The Berman doc was called. He did go all the way. Yes. So now I know what my doc's going to be called <laughs> What's for his, when ESPN does the doc about me. He didn't go all the way because I didn't. I had to leave. <laughs> Berman stayed for 38 years. I made it 14. But uh, fascinating. It was everything I wanted. It was 
if you made the parody version of the doc with like the Lonely Island guys, I think it's the exact same doc. Maybe they changed two <laughs> scenes, but for the most part, it's it's all the same beats. You could have predicted every video they used and all the people they interviewed. I was still thought I was still touched. Yes, that's what it was, right? It was. It was just. It was the whole package. You it was can amazing. Be t- sometimes you can be touched by propaganda. You yeah. know what I thought of? I, like, it, I <laughs> propaganda. Flash, I flash back to. It was really well done, but it was really well done. I flash back Very to, well to the political conventions when they did the bio uh, little movies on the candidates. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it kind of, you know, because those are kind of good. Yeah. And they're kind of well done, but they're also very much saying a mess. And when we got to the family part of the Berman thing, I went, oh, yeah, like, oh, it was really like, oh, yeah, here we go. And like, by the way, will there ever be a retirement video that f- for a sportscaster ever that features Huey Lewis and Bob Seger as like live <laughs> interview? Clinton. Yeah, what? It was <laughs> it was great. And I loved it. I loved every minute of it. I loved the nicknames. I love finding out that his kids suggested some of the nicknames. Yes. I love any any shot of Berman when he just had the mustache. Yes. Young Berman with the mustache was out of its mind. Fantastic. And what about did you remember the Tom Jackson mustache? I had forgotten that. But no. they showed like their first year together and Tom Jackson had a mustache. I forgot that Tom Jackson was good on that show. How about that? <laughs> he, I mean, he stayed on a good 10 years too long, but young Tom Jackson was great on he that was, show. He Berman was he would, going back. Yeah. Highlights. He was excellent. They were a vaudeville act. Yeah, they were really good. And then all of a sudden, like they started putting the third, like they had Stu Scott would be there or Robin Roberts, which is weird. Bill Pito. Now yeah, we're going to go yeah. Why did they do that? You just give Berman a break. But that became kind of a coveted slot, right? That was when you yeah. got to that, you meant you were going places at ESPN. You right. Know? Stu Scott, that, that was a big high young, profile like thing. An absurdly young Stu Scott. Yeah. Last night. He was good. He was good on that one. But I never understood. Maybe, you're right. Maybe that was like a whole high profile thing. But it was. It was really worth watching. I enjoyed it, and I'm glad they did it. Yeah, Norby Williams had this quote too, which I wrote down, where he's like, you know, nobody. The thing about Chris is it, he <clears> never <throat> steps up and says, "Look at me," and I'm like. Really? I mean, if I'll, I think the thing, like, we can say lots of nice things about Chris Berman. We can also say that he's kind of vainglorious, right? I mean, that, that's oh, Chris, yeah. right? Like, he, he was the guy who had, and they even, somebody told me this, and I actually, they showed on the documentary, he had a take a ticket machine outside his office in Bristol, like, you get at a deli, you know, like, take a number. What? Like, yeah. Like, you want to see me take a number? Like, that was actually outside the thing. And I also remember when I was when I was reporting about Chris Mortensen, people told me, I think maybe Schefter told me it's Mort's the guy who could make jokes about Burma, like his appearance, like you know when they're in that war room all watching the games together on yeah. Sunday, and like the Geico caveman thing would be some like hairy guy in a bathtub. Mort would be like, "Hey Boomer, it's you. You're on TV right now." And Boomer would look up and he would look back and he would big smile at Mort. But Mort was a made man, so Mort could make that joke. Oh, and that's and interesting. That other people in the room couldn't necessarily make that joke because you know i'm not sure couldn't go there maybe you know that one of the criticisms i always had with berman watching the nfl show was that he really thought he was as qualified as the (laughs) ex-players so when they would do the the, i didn't really like him that much on the pregame show because it would go around and then berman would give this minute-long soliloquy on, you know, well, and another thing with Buffalo's defense that we found, and he'd just do this generic thing, and it's like, you don't have email. No. You don't have the internet. Like, what, you, you're getting this off of, like, one phone call with Dick LeBeau. Yeah, and he didn't, re- and there's no rehearsal, right? He no. just goes on. No. There's also kind of, like, people I remember, and I, I wish I could credit the right, but one of the sportscasters in Dallas used to make fun of this, was there was Lazy Berman, where he'd kind of go, hey, you know, on the one side you got... 
you got Steve Young, and on the other side you got you got you got Brett Favre, and 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 then and, and Tommy some analysis. Like he just wouldn't have a second gear, and he would just throw it to Jackson to say. Something. What about the part of the documentary where he picked the same Niners Bills Super Bowl for ten years? I totally, it's I great totally for your credibility. About that. Yeah, I had totally forgotten about that. Berm. I think if you had done the documentary the way it had, like if he was dead. And you did the documentary and you tried to do it like in the real balanced way that the angle would be. He was probably the least self-aware yes. superstar we've ever had in sports TV. Like he just just didn't care. He was going to do the same thing that he did for 25 years. He was never changing. He's, he's basically his his attitude was this is what got me here. I didn't use email when I became a star. I'm not going to use it now. I used all these references 25 years. I'm still going to use them. Like he never tried to adapt, evolve anything. Whereas like somebody like Dan Patrick, who I think has his career has had, you know, some different twists and turns, but he's evolved. He's put thought into, Oh, now I'm here. Now I'm older. Now maybe I should do that. Second and third act. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Berman was just like, this is who I am. Mm hmm. And, and that, that was it. And that's where it's a little bit like the Lena Letterman thing. Yeah. With Berman. Berman did, he did quote sportscasters a lot, right? Red Barber. Back, back, back is Red Barber. Yeah. Right. And and guys like that. But Berman, I mean, uh, Olbermann and Patrick really felt like they were doing a parody of a highlight show. You know, there was a very wink, right? We're doing a high, good highlight show and also kind of a very self-aware highlight show. Yeah. Berman, it was like, you know, you know, he was self-aware to a point. But it was probably the point was way back here, you know, and he was just like, we're just having fun, baby. We're going all in, you know. You know, I remember the first person making fun of him. See, you said the year with me leather was I, I thought Norman Chad in the national. <laughs> he drew some blood. Yeah. In 1990 sure. was the first one because I I just remember because at that point, Berman's so big and like anybody you like, whether it's a writer or a sports radio host or whoever, like Francesa, I love Francesa. Francesa has little things that annoy you. Like I'm sure I have that for people who listen to this podcast, but, um, but Norman Chad would make fun of the two minute drill and he'd be like the two minute drill this week timed in at seven minutes and 18 seconds. <laughs> Another failure by Chris Berman and really like took him down a couple of times and this was pre-internet, way pre-internet. I was in college. I'm like, this is the greatest stuff I've ever read. I can't believe somebody's writing this. This yeah. is amazing. They're having the fan and reaction. Norman to... Chad had a huge influence on my column. But uh, everyone in ESPN was so mad at him. Like, Norman Chad, the World Series of Poker, like, he almost didn't get that job. It was like 14 years He's later. He too many bridges. Yeah, he was like, you're out. You're like, you can never work here. But he eventually got it. But SI did a kind of raised eyebrow profile of Berman in 1990 and kind of captured him being silly and oh, just it, yeah, off the air. Who wrote pretty, it? Do you remember? Uh, Franz Lids, actually. Franz, uh, Franz Lids piece. Wow. Vintage SI. Wow. But he did a... Um, I, I, like I think people in print and TV kind of looked at him and thought he was a total clown, right? You know, I mean, I think that was probably not nuts, you know, to look yeah. at like, what is this guy? I mean, that's, by the way, in 89, he almost goes to NBC. He oh, almost yeah. gets this huge deal and goes to NBC. I mean, Matt, that's a weird alternate sports TV history moment. We know the other huge thing that for him was the NFL Network. Yeah. Because that gave him all the leverage he needed from 2002 to 2017 because... The moment somebody at ESPN, and it probably would have been Mark Shapiro if he stayed, because Mark Shapiro was very, I don't, he didn't care about past performance. Um, the moment somebody at ESPN was like, you know what, Chris, fuck you. Like, <laughs> right. take a pay cut and start, you're off the home run derby. He would have been like, okay, I'm going to the, I'm going to the NFL network. And he would have immediately given them 
unbelievable credibility and a superstar. Absolutely. And it would have been the best thing that ever happened. And I always thought he was going to kind of wind up there eventually. I did too. If he'd had a bad parting with ESPN. Yeah. Can we do some ESPN, just a minute of ESPN big think about this too? Yeah, let's, let's when all these it. people leave, you know, I feel like we now have had Tariko, we've had Bayless, Coward, Berman going down to the very reduced role. A lot of people could chirp back at you and say, well, you know, they left for different reasons. You know, yeah. it's not like they're all going out the door. I would just say this about ESPN. If I would be concerned if I were them that people are like you and me are going to look at that network and go, who are these people now? I just don't read. There's no tie to the past anymore. It's just True. basically Bob Lee at this point. I don't even mean 1979, but I mean the eighties and most of the nineties, Tom Jackson, another one, right? Like you just look at it and you're kind of like, I don't recognize a lot of these people or I just don't know them like I did in Berman, even when he was in self parody mode, it's like, I know this guy. Do you think they even care? Cause I, I think for them, it's just the rights, the, the, the money they make from on the other hand, maybe they do care because they just gave Mike Greenberg a giant contract. Who are they bidding against? Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, there's the Mike Greenberg thing or the, you know, they're branding the six o'clock sports center, right? You know, the sports center six or whatever it is. I think like the six, I think they, I think they do want to brand these people, but at the same time, I'm kind of like, I just, I look there and it's like a lot of the people I just don't feel like I know that well. Yeah. And maybe it's just because they weren't around when I was, a, you know, younger or whatever. But if I were them, I'd be worried about that. Just there's something to it where everybody walks out the door within a couple of years and you kind of look at that place like, I, just, eh. I think they care about the games and the fact that they have basketball and football locked up and college football, BCS, and that in a world where live rights for games is still one of the few reliable things you have in media. They still have it. Maybe that's and it. All that other stuff. And, and they care really about matter. the web. And so it's fine. Yeah, so they we care have about Trey the Wingo and Reese Davis and all these guys. And, and we're just like, we're good. We're going to just have a pregame show. It doesn't yeah. really matter who hosts it. As long as we have the rights, we're good. Yeah. I th- I, that would be my guess. I don't know. It's almost like pro wrestling. Like sometimes you got a clean house and just go with like some of the new, younger generation people, right? And Berman did break the, you know, he was, he got bigger than ESPN, right? He was one of the few people who right. did that. In fact, Dan Patrick said that on the radio this week, it's like when he, when Walsh, when he and Oldman come in Walsh says, we don't want another Chris Berman. And what he means by that is we don't want someone to get that big that we can't control. You know, like we don't want somebody to just grow, 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 grow. And all of a sudden it's not an interchangeable part. It's a person that's just like bigger, almost bigger than the network. Yeah. They got like, and Berman was, you know, the guy who got, you know, showed the model how <laughs> to be that guy. Right. I think when, uh, when I got suspended and that became such a giant story, I think that was, that was a problem. Yeah. That wasn't great for me. Mm-hmm. Kind of wish that never happened in retrospect. <laughs> <laughs> As long as we're talking about bigger than ESPN. Well, well, it was like when The View was talking about it. Then, you know, something's going on. Rosie O'Donnell's weighing in with her support. But yeah. No, I, th- I don't think we'll ever see a career like Berman's again in, in, at ESPN. I think we'll see, you know, I don't think we'll ever see a career like Al Michaels again. I think there's a chance we never see a career like Joe Buck's again. I think I think so. I think Buck is the last one in the door of the. I old. think it's gonna be too hard for people to get that opportunity that young to do that many great things and then grow as they get older because. And plus, there's no, there's not four networks anymore. Yeah. Right. Buck kind of gets in. I mean, it's obviously tons of cable by the time Buck gets in, but he, Buck is still has that big network prestige about him. It's five, you know, it's one of the four big channels, right? And that was 20 years ago. Yeah. Not gonna you start today, you don't have that prestige about you, even right. if you're on the big show, you know? Like Jim Nance lucks out 
because Brent Musburger has a contract thing in like 1989. All of a sudden, Jim Nance is 26. He gets in there. If Brent Musburger just plays nice for six more years, Jim Nance doesn't get a real chance until he's like 33, 34. If Sean McDonough doesn't burn some bridges at CBS and then the baseball changes and now here's Joe Buck and Joe Buck gets that job. Sean McDonough could have had that lead baseball job for 50 years. He could have been Joe Buck. Yeah. Yeah. So I I just think it's going to be so much harder for anybody and everything's so splintered down. Um, Wait, what was the other, the other, the other big thing we wanted to talk about was uh, sports. Yeah. Yeah. Before we do that though, our friends at Squarespace make it easy to build beautiful websites, whether you're planning to start a business, change careers or launch a creative project. Now that 2017 is rolling. If you're thinking about any of that stuff, you should absolutely be talk- tackling your next move with Squarespace. Widely used by all kinds of c- people and businesses, Squarespace gives you the ability to create an online platform with which you can make your latest goals into a reality. Whether you need a landing page, a beautiful gallery, a professional blog, or an online store, it's all included in your Squarespace website, a unique domain experience that is fully transparent and simple to set up. Add and arrange your content and features with the click of a mouse. Nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever. And Squarespace's award-winning 24-7 customer support will help you no matter how hard or how easy your problem may be. Start a free trial today at squarespace.com. Use offer code BS to get 10% off your first purchase, plus a free domain. Again, that is squarespace.com. Offer code BS. Squarespace. Make your next move. Make your next website. So... Right now I'm on an antibiotic and a steroid <laughs> and this cough syrup that makes you drowsy, which I didn't take this morning. Steroids like really do some stuff to you. <laughs> like I, I was up to like two 30 last night watching Beverly Hills cop oh woke God. up at seven. I was fine. Wow. A lot of energy. I want to go outside and like fight somebody. Here's the steroids. Yeah. I can't even imagine how the football players feel. Like wow. I sound hyped up today. Can you pass some of those Tate, out around the room? I'm hyped up today. Yeah. I feel like this, I think it's like wired. This is a scandal. Just the steroids. Maybe I start taking steroids to make my podcast better. Yeah. What's he doing? Oh my god! It's like an podcast. open bucket in the ringer office. Oh right? my god! I got a piece due in a couple steroids of days. Steroids are the me, best. Give me some of that, baby. My hair is going to start falling out. Here we go. Let's talk about the stick to the sports stuff. So, this has been a big topic in our office, and I think for a lot of websites about Trump. How does it change your mission? when you never really thought you were going to write about politics that much or talk about politics that much. And yet everybody is talking about politics and the new president, all that stuff. We conceived the ringer as a sports pop culture and tech site. It's got mostly younger writers that we took, you know, we, we wanted to work with young talented people. We have a couple more established people like yourself. Um, but for the most part, we wanted to build around younger, talented people and build a website that by year three, year four, um, was was kind of where we wanted to be. Never really factored in the politics that much. We uh, John Favreau was a good friend of mine, right? And brought him in to do some writing and to launch a podcast. That thing took off. We knew. I thought he was going to go to CNN or something like that. I just assumed he was going to have his own. 10 o'clock CNN show. Um, after the election, they decided to take that podcast, make it much more activist, turn it into a business. I think it's a great idea. But we've been constantly struggling with how do we weigh in on stuff without angling it to, too severely, trying to seem balanced. Where do we find the nuances and the niches? 
and this is what everybody's dealing with. You wrote a piece about sports writers not sticking to sports anymore. Yeah. What was the reaction to it? I felt um, it, was, it was a big reaction to it because I think people have been feeling the tension. Sports writers are feel the tension themselves, you know, about what you're supposed to do. I mean, it was, to me, it was amazing. Over the weekend, we had the immigration ban, right? Twitter is, that's what Twitter is about. But it's not just, you know, there's this group of sports writers that are at the barricades, no matter what. Bruce Arthur is at those barricades. Richard Deitch, you know, yeah. Dave Zarr, pal Dave Zarr, and all these guys are at the barricades. But Zach Lowe was at that was going in, you yeah. know, and Howard Beck was going in and people like that. And I'm thinking like, whoa, you know, now we're now we're way past, you know, Pete Abraham in the Boston Globe. You know what? Right. You know, like now we're past now we're in a different zone. You left that sage steel. <laughs> she was going from the other side. Yeah. The, um, Her flight got delayed. Yeah. It's a real bummer, you know. The um, But now that's it's kind of like, oh, wow. Well, this is a different world we live in. Yeah. And sports, you know, you and I grew up in the newspaper era. And that stuff would get into the sports pages. It wasn't totally done, but never like this. And never from like political, like an activist, political advocacy kind of point of view at this level that we're seeing now. I, as when, especially at ESPN. And when I got to ESPN, like there really wasn't a national columnist. And one of the things I was trying to do with my column was how do I make it appeal to everybody? Like yeah. it was really, at that point it was just all local columnists writing to local fans with using local jokes and local references. And you had to figure out how to, how do I appeal to somebody in Kansas city? How do I appeal to somebody in Oklahoma? And the way to do it was, you know, humor and um everyone gets a good joke about like a game everybody gets pop culture stuff and you try to figure out these little lanes that might appeal to more than just a local base and i decided pretty early on like staying away from politics like i i don't think that's why people are reading this column they don't care what i think i'm not throwing in pot shots and all that's on and at the same time espn was like don't put in politics you know espn oh. was terrified of oh. any politics stuff and that's the way it went until 2008 and then I had a chance to have Obama on my podcast in April. And thanks to Favreau, actually, Favreau and Vitor. And uh, and it was done. We were about to do it. And ESPN squashed it. And it was the first real big beef I had with them. I just didn't understand it. They were like, you can't, we, we don't want to sway the election yet. So then fast forward to a few months later and like, you know, Berman's interviewing them and so that's what they, Riley, you know. I wrote a, Riley got him right. Riley got him, which flipped, made me. I couldn't believe that. So I wrote this column. I had a column that was supposed to be handed in for football, like that Friday. I don't know if I ever told you this. No, we're getting we're getting the deep cuts today. I wrote a whole column about John McCain, and it was it was Riley <laughs> did an interview with Obama. So I wrote about my f interview with John McCain, which was fake. And it just like crushed him for 2000 words. And I handed it in as my column and they didn't run it. So I was like, all right, fine. I guess I don't have a column that week. But, um, but you know, the way they handled it was that was how they did it back then. I don't think they can handle that. I don't believe so. You can't handle that stuff anymore that way. And I don't know what they do about Trump. Like, what does he do? Does he pick games with any cats? Yes. So somebody gave me that hypothetical the other day. And I think yeah. that's fascinating. Donald Trump goes to, or Steve Bannon calls up John Skipper and says, you know, we'd like President Trump to do the NCAA picks just like President Obama did. What does ESPN say? You know? Sage the, I'm, the pres I'm the president of the United States. <laughs> <laughs> She's all in. By the way, there's a funny. So I think I'm on record as saying sports writing is like a liberal profession now, basically, 
close to, I mean, national national writers, yeah. pretty, pretty, pretty close to 100%, uh, or at least the ones who are piping up about politics. Sports TV, every time I meet with an executive, I make a little list of like, who are the real arch conservatives? Boy, that's a long list. It's a long and list. It's almost, and it's almost 100% the other way. Yeah. They're all Republicans. I know. And a lot of them, I think, are, are Trump friendly. I think the older you get, the higher the likelihood yeah, with the more, the more money, the more money you make, right? Too, right? Yeah, that's, yeah. The, that's the other thing, right? Yeah, Those that's guys a good are well, point. very well paid. So they don't want to pay. They don't want. To, they don't want. To, they don't want the income taxes raised. ESPN's in a really interesting spot because they have people on sport. You know, when it was me, I think it was, or like when I was there, I should say, you start talking about politics and podcasts and things like that. I remember I talked with. I had a Don Day on a podcast after Obama had his inauguration. And it was one of my favorite podcasts I did because he was just talking as a black man, like what a special moment that was to watch a black president walk down. He was just great. He was, it was the best I'd ever heard him on anything. But now they're in a situation where you have somebody like Dan Lebetard who gets frustrated by a lot of the same things that I got frustrated by when I was there. Oh, yeah. And he knows now like race and racial issues, he can go there on his radio show and what are they going to do? You can't talk about race. <laughs> you can't talk about um, the immigration ban. It's tough. And and he's playing it kind of perfectly. Like he basically really went after Sage Steele earlier this week. And I didn't think he got suspended. No, did he? we haven't. We haven't heard if he did. Which makes me mad because like, remember when I got suspended from Twitter for a week because <laughs> which which remind me <laughs> which time? I, get, I get confused so richard sherman went on first take <laughs> oh right and they build it up as richard sherman versus skip right and he went on and he just savage skip it was amazing and however you felt about that show it was it was like why why do we have this show on espn where somebody comes on and just savages the espn host and i tweeted like i i just didn't think that was right i didn't think it made Either of them look good. It didn't make ESPN look good. I don't know why we did that. And they were really mad that I said anything. And they suspended me from Twitter for a week. So now you have Levitard says the same thing about Sage Steele. Like, how does she say that? That's the height of privilege. And they're staying away from it because now that race and politics are involved, it's a stay away. Yeah. Interesting. And also, and also Trump Trump makes it a, Trump, a Trump, double stay away. Trump makes it the double stay away because now it complicates things, right? Because we know that Disney... You know, Disney is a company. The values that Disney has is not—they're not on the Trump train, right? They're not on the Trump train. At I all. disagree. Really? Bob Iger is on one of those special thingies. He's on the, the Trump, same thing that the Uber, the Uber guy, was, guy on. was on. Yeah, like that special advisor thing. Oh boy, you didn't know that? I guess I maybe I did. I forgot. Yeah, but but I'm just saying, like the the values of ESPN, you know, inclusiveness. You know, there. I always thought ESPN was way more Republican than people realized. Maybe they were. I think they were. And I think that was one of the reasons they didn't want Obama to be on my podcast, to be honest. No way. Really? Yeah. They wanted McCain to get elected? No, I'm just kidding. No, I was about to say. When that gets, when that gets cut out and excerpted <laughs> in a box, we'll, I was we'll kidding. remember that little 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 moment forever, Bill. That I was, was kidding. The two of us. Um, <laughs> I want to see what your reaction was. I, think, I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> the the Trump, but I think the Trump thing makes it harder for everybody. But the, they they don't want it. To, they don't. They still don't want people to talk about politics at all on on that. No, because I it'll to, drive people away. I put that in the piece this week. Sports TV executive told me, "Here's my idea of a political argument: the Pats are going to win, the Pats are going to lose. That's that's a great political argument on our on our air, and that's all I want. I don't want actual politics because so, it just turns people off. So, what do you think about the the Patriots part of this? Has been fascinating to me to see how all people are written up about in it. Trump, yeah. 
you you listen to Bob Kraft explain why he's friends with Trump and he goes into this long detailed thing like I've been friends with the guy for 20 years when my wife died he called me every week to see if I was okay he goes through this whole thing it's like hey Trump sounded like a pretty good friend of that guy and then Brady in the past has talked about I've known him forever he's been very supportive Belichick's obviously friends with him sort of sort of yeah and I don't totally understand why they haven't at least said, I've been friends with him for a long time. I'm not crazy about a couple of the things he's doing. Which or should, which I should wish, not be taken as an endorsement of Donald yeah, Trump's agenda. Yeah, or I'm a little disappointed that he has made a better effort to unite everyone in the country. It does feel like he's trying to pit people against each other or whatever, what, however you want to put it. At least get a little kernel out there that we know that you know yeah. that maybe this isn't going 100% the way you thought it was when your friend ran for president. They're very loyal to him. They're very loyal to him. I, mean, I got to say, it doesn't bother me, though. I, I've it, written for so many terrible people in sports. Like, <laughs> like I'm going to draw the line now. It's, I, it doesn't surprise me that rich people are friends with rich people. I mean, right. That doesn't surprise me ever at all about anything. It just doesn't. At all. And it's like when I heard about it. now, of course, Bel- to me, I love Belichick's letter that Trump read right before the election because the letter was so carefully not an endorsement of anything. It was right. like, congratulations on running for president. That was basically the message of the letter. You know, and you tell Belichick was Belichick was, you know, laboring over that. Like, I'm just going to be real <laughs> careful right here. Because I think Belichick is probably hipper to that. You know, in a way, and of course, Belichick doesn't want to be tied into any. Like, he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to be political. He doesn't want. To, he doesn't care. In the end of the day, like, I mean, he may be interested in politics and history, but he doesn't. He doesn't want to talk to the media. But he's not Steve Kerr and Greg Popovich. And by the way, that's the other part of this. The coaches. I mean, Pop's thing last night. The coaches are are dra- and the players, but it's kind of weirdly more the coaches at the moment are dragging everybody into it. How do you not talk about it? Steve Kerr wants to be. It is so clear. Wants to be asked about this stuff. When, and by the way, isn't it kind of clever? Because if you're you don't if you're Steve Kerr or Pop, you don't want to give away too much basketball stuff. So politics kind of becomes this weirdly a safe place to go. Yeah, it's a good point. And everybody loves you for it, right? Like people who are NBA fans aren't going to be mad at you. Like, oh, I'm a Trump guy and an NBA fan. I'm out of here. You know, I think that's a pretty that Venn diagram is not huge. So I think it's sort of like you, well, you you're win. also talking about two guys that are about as uniquely qualified to discuss this. As anyone, because mm-hmm. Steve Kerr, the, the his dad and his whole connection with the Middle East and all the different teams he's been on, the teammates he's had and people he's coached and life experience he's had. And then Popovich has coached people of all kinds of cultures and backgrounds and has had such an interesting life, you know. And I that was when, I, when the immigration ban really started going last week. My mind, because I love basketball, that was one of the first things I thought about, like, how does this affect like Giannis? <laughs> Wait, you know, they were Greece wasn't on the list, but what if someday like everybody's on the list? How does this affect Thon Maker and Serge Ibaka? Sure. And where what if the countries keep getting added up and these guys can't fly back out of you know, it it, it was just such a bizarre month. Like I don't ever remember on a weekend being stressed out about stuff that wasn't work. Last week, and I'm like looking at Twitter, like I hope didn't hope something didn't happen. Hoped something didn't happen. That was just the way I guess we're gonna live now for a while. Yeah, and to your original point about sports writers and us, the Ringer, how do you not talk about this stuff? 
You have how, to. How do you not? Yeah. I remember being at the conventions and everybody this summer and people were like, why are you here? And I was like, where else would I be? Right. You going to be at the Dodger game tonight? This is what people are talking about. Right. Where else would we be? And with, with, when, you know, you don't have to be Politico, right? You don't have to, to go full bore, you know, you're never going to on that road, but it just feels like it's just, it's, it's kind of like we're, it's all one subject now. One thing I pointed out in that article, I just feel like everything is like one subject. You know, there's no walled garden that sports over here and political news over here. I feel it's just all we're all kind of in this weird moment where as writers, we're all trying to deal with everything and write about everything. It's funny. Yeah. And everybody fits their own little place, whether you're a comedian or a musician or anybody that's just trying to create something. Um, Some people feel like they have to get all their thoughts out. Other people feel like, you know what, I just want to do good work and take people's mind off whatever's yeah. going on. And then other people are in the middle. I and mean, Joe Buck got asked about that this week, right? Yeah. You know, and like, are you going to mention Trump? <laughs> like, no. During the Super Bowl break. But, but how great would it be if he had his Howard Beale moment? Yeah. In the third quarter of the Super Bowl. Because <laughs> Joe Buck's talked about, you know, potentially maybe wanting to retire at some point soon. What if in the third quarter of the game he's like, Troy, hold on. I gotta get. I gotta get a few words off my chest about the, the Trump administration and just this five minute attack. Like it'd be the most legendary thing that's ever happened. It'd be amazing, and it would make him polarizing too. You know, and oh, absolutely. That's the thing. There's such a fear. I, I think Sarah Silverman felt it this week when she said that insane thing about the military overthrowing Trump and gets this huge backlash against it, which she should have because you shouldn't say that, but. You know, the stakes are so high now that if you have a misstep one way or the other, it's just this wave of pitbulls right. coming at you. And there's pressure on you to say something, you know. The it's a pandering. It's mm-hmm. the, it's the pan- this is the pandering era, Brian. There you go. Yeah. It's, the, it's a world of pandering. Why aren't you speaking out? You know, and, and look, maybe, you know, I mean, the state of, you know, it's not, it's not nuts to say this is a different kind of state of emergency than we've been in, you know, and maybe, maybe we should, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't think that's, I'm not saying Joe Buck needs to speak out during right. the Super Bowl. Not everybody has to speak out, but, you know, pressuring people to get involved and not be passive while things happen is not nuts, you know, and it's a weird, it's a weird, weird, weird moment. I, I think never, having the conversations are really important and it doesn't have to mean I lean on one side or the other, but if you read about somebody like Steve Bannon, like that's a guy, there's a chance that this is a guy who just wants to create a war. Now I might be wrong and maybe, just maybe he chance. just wants to create chaos or maybe <laughs> he, he just wants, wants to, to create chaos. break the political system. Yeah. But there also is a chance that he wants to go down in history as somebody who created a world war. Sure. It's worth discussing. It doesn't mean that you're pro against Steve Bannon. It's like, just read all the articles about him. <laughs> you could be pro civil war. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, who knows? But I, I think I don't think people should be afraid to have the conversations, and I think people should, you know, try to think about both sides. I think what the the thing I think we can all agree on with the first month of uh, everything that's happened. I'm going to try to say this as diplomatically as possible. Here we go. No, I I think there's been a certain level of sloppiness that you know it's really hard to run anything it's hard to run the fucking ringer we have 65 people trump's <laughs> running the whole country he has to make all these appointments you're not going to get bad a thousand with the appointments and on top of that when you're just doing these bands quickly and you're not dotting all the i's and crossing the t's and it looks or sloppy any of the i's or any of the t's yeah <laughs> ready out the i's or the t's you know there's gonna be some trouble 
And that's the part that worries me is I think when you look, if you're going to be sloppy a lot and you're going to have people fired, like remember, I'm a huge Watergate guy. The, the massacre. Yeah. Was, was one of my favorite Watergate moments. Cause it was like really when Nixon lost his mind, he was like, I'm just going to keep firing somebody. I'm going to, I'm going to keep firing my attorney generals until I find one that, that uh, gets rid of this prosecutor. And then he finally found fucking Bork. What's but the, what's but the that line? was a crazy American moment. And now we just basically relived it with the Secretary of State. Sure. But what's the, what's the Secretary of State? Uh, sec- of uh, uh, the Attorney General. Attorney General. Attorney General. Attorney General. Yeah. What's the line in All the President's Men where it's like everybody thinks they're really smart, but these are really stupid fucking guys or whatever the <laughs> right. deep throat says, right? You know, and there's a little bit of that tension with Trump, right? Because they won an election. So we just immediately think, well, they must be smart. They won an American presidential election. Right. They must be competent to some level. But we're watching that campaign. We're like, this is the most incompetent campaign we've ever seen. Yeah. Can't do anything. Right. Anyone People couldn't have Anyone. been that then we get in there. It's like, well, maybe they maybe there's a certain level of you know of crazy like a fox or something. Like look at all the sloppiness and go, Ooh. yeah. I'm still trying to take solace in the fact that he wants to be liked. I think ultimately that's a good thing for a president. Now, whether he just wants to be liked by one type of person. That's another debate, but I still think ultimately like you read everything about him and all the things that's like, he wants to be liked and he likes to be around famous people. How that manifests itself will be fascinating. How that manifests. I don't, I don't know. I don't know either. Um, and then the other thing is even like him calling craft. Yeah. After his wife died, made me think like, well, that's something like a good friend does, you know, that's, that's a human trait. That is a positive. We, could, we may ascribe a human trait to this man. That's, sounds good. That's I'm glad he did that. So I don't know. I'm 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 an optimist. So, but at the same time, last weekend was really weird, and and I think it was weird for all of us. It's I, I only remember a few times in my life being unsettled by the country. Like I remember, like I remember being in college when um was it 1990 when we bombed Iraq watching watching uh cnn and just the green the green screen of the bombs and all that stuff i remember like the cold war movie being really freaked out by that in 1983 mm-hmm. um and this is definitely another one of those eras where it's just you realize like oh fuck now i feel the five hours of the super bowl are the moment when sports will be topic a when something other than trump will be topic a and it's really the first time uh since november since Jan- june yeah. I mean, when was the last time that was the case? Maybe the Cubs in game seven or something like that. But like, I feel like since certainly since the election that really it's going to be bumped off for a couple of hours. And then Trump is going to tweet something after the game, congratulating the Pats when they're holding the Lombardi trophy and we'll be back in the back in the fun. House. Yeah. Hopefully Brady smashes the Super Bowl trophy over Goodell's <laughs> head. And then everybody will talk about that. I still think Lady Gaga is capable of something. That's the Super Bowl oh, prop right. that I want to take. I She's got that. something. She's There's got no way. She's something let it go up her sleeve or up a crevice or something. Who knows? Yeah. What, who knows what she's capable of? <laughs> the ultimate pandering. Yeah, she's she'll be pulling out something. There you go. So who knows? Um, all right, Brian Curtis. This is fun. This is we we covered. We hit everything we wanted. We to We covered hit, right? the waterfront. We we tiptoed our way around a, a Trump conversation that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Only a couple of minds that we stepped on. I think we're okay. The bourbon yeah. too. I'm missing one toe. A, this is a huge minefield. Yeah. Wait, I'm well missing done. my left big toe. Uh, <laughs> what's your next piece you're working on? I don't know. 
I was going to go. Through. All right, let's go brainstorm. All right, here we go. All right, uh, we have Mike Lombardi coming up in one second, and then we're done. All right, we're going to talk about a perfect mattress that's sold directly to consumers. Let's talk about an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. Let's talk about supportive memory foams that create an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. Let's talk about Casper mattresses. Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. It's true. Try Casper for 100 nights risk-free in your home. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up. They'll refund you everything. Casper understands the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress before you commit, especially considering you're going to spend a third of your life on it. They offer free shipping and returns to U.S. and Canada with over 20,000 reviews and an average of 4.8 stars. It's quickly becoming the Internet's favorite mattress. Again, Casper will deliver your mattress to you risk-free. Try it for 100 days. If you're not happy, they will pick it back up. Find out why so many people love Casper. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash BS. Use offer code BS. Terms and conditions apply again. Casper.com slash BS. Code BS. All right. Thanks to Brian Curtis. That was a lot of fun. Mike Lombardi, it's time. Give us the Super Bowl pick. Well, I, I was just listening to you do that mattress thing. I think Jimmy Altieri from The Sopranos, he used to have a great mattress before they whacked him. So I was thinking maybe he had a Casper mattress. <laughs> I hope I he did know. it. Hey, I, well, if he had a yeah. I wonder if he could have returned it after he got whacked on him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I always thought he had a good one. And, you know, and, and I, going down that road, not to, not to delay the pick, but, you know, the guy, Frank Pellegrini, the guy who owned Rayo's, passed away this week, which is a tragic yeah. moment. Also in Goodfellas. He's the chef in Goodfellas. Mm. Horrible. Tough But one. anyway, I like the Patriots 34-24. Okay, so you're sticking with that because you said that on the Super Bowl props pod that we did. Yeah, I like it. I, 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 the more I watch this week, the more I uh, analyze both teams, I think it'll be a good game for uh, a while, and I think the Patriots eventually will take over. I think the Patriots' defense is better than Atlanta's defense. I think their offenses are similar. But at the end of the day, I, I just believe the Patriots have more – things going for them in terms of what they can do and how they play the style of game. I like the Patriots. I am taking the New England Patriots 37 to 20. So you, everybody's kind of going in the route more than the three, which is fascinating for me because the line hasn't moved, has it? The line hasn't moved. I've looked at it from every direction. I I am very self-aware of my own team and what our weaknesses are. And, you know, like the Seattle game, I thought we had a chance to beat Seattle. Didn't feel that confident in it. I thought, you know, the, the Super Bowl I felt the most confident about was the Eagles. So I just thought that this was a the great one matchup. similar to me to the Eagles. Yeah, I right. agree. It's similar to me to the Eagles. I, I think it's, it's the, uh, the, look, everybody's, when you pick against Atlanta, everybody's, well, you never gave them credit all year. Well, look, Atlanta has played extremely well all season. Their offense has carried them. Atlanta's a lot like the, the Oakland Raiders or the Las Vegas Raiders or the San Diego Raiders. I'm not sure which one they're going <laughs> right. to be, but they're a lot like them in the sense that their offense carries them and their defense is still a liability. And the thing that has to concern you the most is Brady will get to the ball. When the ball hits Brady's hand, there'll be no confusion on his part on where he's throwing the football. Right. And the more I thought about the Monday podcast, the 24 completion, I, I don't understand how that how Brady doesn't have more than 24 unless they just take the air out of the ball and he only has, he's 20 for 23 in the game in terms of just to having less passing attempts. Yeah, I keep coming back to the same thing I felt going into the playoffs, that the success or failure of this Patriots team 
over the years has come down to whether the opposing defense has been able to keep to keep hitting Brady, to knock him off his game, to make him uncomfortable while also covering all the guys that are out there. And to do that, you need a really good pass rush and you need to be super physical. And I just don't think that's the Falcons. I, I don't think that's that kind of team. If they beat the Pats, I think they're going to have to outscore them in a shootout. And perennially, we just don't see Super Bowls being shootouts. You know, I, I think they're more deliberate games. And I think the Pats can keep Atlanta off the field. I hate to sound like a talking head, but I just think the Pats are going to have the ball a lot. I think he's going to have a lot of completions. And when the Falcons come out, they're always going to have to be, you know, either they're going to have to emulate what the Pats are doing and doing ball control like you laid out in your piece on the ringer this week where the run, the run, the run to set up the play action and then try to get Julio open in space. But if the Pats take a lead, all of a sudden you can't run the ball after a certain point and it takes that out. You're playing from behind. And that's what Belichick loves when, you know, if he can make you just chip away, chip away, chip away versus getting those big plays, eventually you're going to have the third down and four that bounces off somebody's hand, the deflected pass, whatever. This Pats defense is kind of built for that. They love keeping the teams between the 20s. And I, I don't know. I just like the matchup for the Pats. I don't think I don't know if they were the best team this year, but I think the way it's played out in the playoffs with the matchups has been great for them. I, I would be concerned if they were playing Dallas in the Super Bowl. I would think that that would Me be too. a tougher matchup than Atlanta because Dallas has got speed on defense. Look, we talked about this years ago about the, the blue chips and the red chips and how you had to have them in both offensive and defensive lines. And Atlanta's offensive line, and I don't care what pro football focus grades them the sixth best line, when you break them down on tape, they're a liability. You ask 25 personnel guys in the league, and they'll tell you the, the weakness of Atlanta's team is their offensive line. Yep. I don't care if they're ranked six on pro football focus or not. That's the weakness. And if Alec Mack can't play on a healthy ankle against the best defensive lineman the Patriots have in Allen Branch, and Ben Garland has to come in the game, then that middle of the pocket, the paint we talked about in that column, really becomes difficult for them to manage. And I think that's where the game, depth plays a factor in these games. It'll be hot in that stadium. There'll be humidity. I know it'll be closed, but it's going to be a hotter game than you're used to just because of the elements. And you have to have good depth. They don't have good depth on the defensive line. Joe Volano, love him to death, but he's one of their defensive tackles in the rotation. Whether he's active or not, I don't know. But they don't have depth in their defensive front, and they don't have depth in their offensive line. And I think that's where the game is ultimately going to be decided. And I think it's a better Patriots team than the one two years ago that won in this respect. The offensive line's better. No Gronk, obviously, but the receivers are better. Like I, my dad and I watched the Super Bowl last night from two years ago. You know, Brandon LaFell's involved. Shane Vereen, who was terrific in that game, but had none of the breakaway threat that Deion Lewis has. Uh, the secondary that the Pats have this year, I just think is better. Like Kyle Arrington had to be benched halfway through that game because he was a disaster. Right. Logan Ryan was a much worse player two years ago than he was this year. He had Collins audibling and... You know, he's the one that got burned on Russell Wilson's little scramble at the end of the second quarter. He's the one that got burned on and the, the wheel route. Move on the two minute, yeah, and the, the wheel route in the two, two minute. minute. Yeah. Um, this team, I think he's gotten the defense to the point where they're not making those, just those big screw ups. Like last year, like Owen Daniels going over the middle, the only pass that Peyton Manning could throw at that point of his career was that over the middle pass to the tight end, and we gave it to him twice. This defense yeah, isn't making those Jamie mistakes. 
he gave up two plays in that game. That play and then the double move in the Denver over in the corner of the end zone. Right. And those are the two touchdown passes of the game, and, and that really was hard. No, I think there's no doubt from looking at the talent. Remember, look at the offensive line of, of the Super Bowl team. Dan Conley was one on his last leg, never played football. Ryan Waddell was on his last leg. They were the starting guards. You know, it was a challenging, the two tackles, Solder and, and Ballmer were really good players, and it wasn't until Seattle got tired on defense that the ball was able to be thrown effectively. Brady took a beating in that game. Yeah, I don't see that happen in this game. I think this offensive line, I've said this all year, Mason's a Pro Bowl player. I think Tooney's a good young player. Marcus Cannon has played outstanding. They have enough. This is a much better football team than two years ago. This is a team, to me, when I look at their talent, it reminds me of their talent in 2004, 2005. Nobody really knows about the players, but they're all pretty good players. And what I and why I think the line hasn't moved and the thing that scares me about this game is that Atlanta has a very good offense, and there's a chance that they that they'll just get hot in this game, and they'll score forty points and they'll just outshoot Brady. But I think when's that's how it has time, to go. When's the last time somebody scored forty on 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 on, on Belichick? When's the last time that's happened? I, mean, I don't that's remember. Hard to do. See, everybody talks about that. Well, you know, they they beat Denver and Denver. They scored twenty four points in Denver. If they score twenty four points against the Patriots, they will lose. Right. You know. It, they score. They're going to have to get this game into the 30s. Now, where they're going to have to do is a tip ball. You know, the, the, the fortune, the, the football gods are going to have to be in their favor, and I think they know it. Atlanta knows that that they're going to have to take advantage on some opportunities, and they're going to have to play careless. They're going to have to be the unconventional swordsman in this fight. Baltimore and I think going to, have to go for it on third. I was going to say Baltimore like six years ago when they, I think they went 33-14, and it, the, the game that started out with the long Ray Rice run for the touchdown. But I, I think right. Flacco threw less than ten passes in that game. That's not that scenario isn't going to happen again. You're right. They, the closest that any teams come to really lighting them up in a playoff game was Carolina got really hot in the second half of that Super Bowl because uh, guys on the Pats were getting. Remember, I think we had a couple injuries in the secondary in the second right. half. But I think they put up they put up twenty two in the second half. So you know, that's I, one I, of the great stories. That game is one of the great stories of all time. So during that game, it's in the two-minute drill, and Belichick tells Romeo Cornell to call a, a sparrow, which is one of the blitzes. And yeah. Romeo says to Belichick in the, in the headset, we haven't run that play right all, all week. We shouldn't run it. And Belichick says, just run it. And they run it, and they give up a touchdown. Belichick's point in this whole thing was, we needed the ball back quicker. So either we got a sack or they got a touchdown. But oh, one that's way interesting. Or the other, we needed the ball back. That's like a video so game play. That's with, like when you call the blitz in video games. It either works or you lose. Right. And so he needed a play, got it, and then they got the ball back in time to make the field goal to win the game. So it's it's one of those where and, – and that could happen in this game. I mean, if it gets into a track meet, but I just don't see how the Patriots are willing to let it go to a track meet style of game. There's a scenario, right, where this is what scares me. Atlanta gets the ball first. Atlanta goes down, has an eight-and-a-half-minute drive. And scores. Pats get right. the ball. First down, third and four over Edelman's. Hey, he, he misses it. Punt. Falcons get it back. Field goal, 10 nothing Falcons. Now they're confident. They have the lead. Now they can run all the Shanahan plays, the play action. They're in the driver's seat. That's the scenario that scares me. And the Pats can't let that right. happen because if that happens, they have a really good chance of losing at that point. Yeah, you, the one thing is what, what, the, what the Falcons need to do is make the Patriots play catch-up 
and then keep adding to the league. The one thing that both teams are going to do in this game is not rest on a 10-point lead or yep. not rest on a, on a – yeah, they're going to have to keep scoring. And when you're trying to keep scoring, you, you're prone to make mistakes. But then again, it falls back to Brady. Protects the football. He's had his one bad playoff game against the Houston Texans. Yeah. And the recipe to beat the Patriots is to harass and hit Brady and force him in a situation. Seattle did it through two interceptions. Houston did it. I don't think it's going to happen this week. And I forgot, watch, re-watching the Seattle game, that uh, what's-his-face went out? Cliff Averill. Got it. Remember, yeah. he got a concussion. They, yeah, and it was that, that right before. Down. Then they moved Bennett outside. See, that's yeah. when they put they put Bennett outside, which really helped because you know we couldn't block Bennett inside. Right, we couldn't block anybody in that front. Seattle lost Jeremy Lane on the interception in the first half, and put that backup in, who eventually Brady just started picking on on the last two drives, and then they lost Averill during that second to last drive, but. <laughs> Those were massive injuries, and that's the thing—you need breaks. And that's another—that's another thing. That's—I don't think it's a sure thing that the Pats are going to win. You know what happens if McCordy gets hurt in the first quarter, and what happens if Edelman gets knocked out in the third quarter? Like there, all kinds of things that can happen. And Atlanta has a very right. good offensive team, but I just think the Pats—if it's an equal game and things go each way for both teams—I think the Pats—it's just a better matchup for them. Right, anyway. and and that's the one thing you can't. You know, football's played between the lines, not on paper. On paper, the Patriots should win. The game's going to be played on the field. A tip pass here, an injury here. That's why depth's so important. I mean, we're talking about it. I mean, the depth of the teams really matter in these games because yeah. everybody's playing. There's no resting plays here. There's no brother-in-law going on on the field. You're giving it all on every single play, so you're going to need some time. The receivers are going to need time. But you don't run as many routes as Atlanta does where Julio Jones is just going to be on the field for 65 plays. He's not going to be on there. He's going to come off the field. He's going to be exhausted. So you have to have good depth. They have it on offense. They don't have it in the offensive line. But they don't – and defensive lines, they don't have it. So it's going to come down to – look, this is the, this is the Peyton Manning – a game only the Falcons have Matt Ryan. I mean, this is what it is. And the difference here with Atlanta's defense as opposed to Indy's defense is they don't have, I know they have Freeney on it, but they don't have a player like Freeney in his prime. They don't have a player like Robert Mathis in his prime. And, that, and the experience of the Pats having been in so many of these things versus the Falcons where just nobody's been in this thing other than Dan Quinn as like an assistant. And I think that matters too, you know, especially if the right. Pats can get up early. And the Falcons, now you're rushing, you got to, but you know, oh God, we're down 14 to three. We got to make a play. And that that's a good situation too. I like this Pats team. I think it would be crazy if they won the Super Bowl without Gronkowski though. Like I, I just never expected that. I thought when he went down, I, I just, just to win without your best offensive player other than the quarterback, obviously, but it's just so abnormal. You know, right? But that's why the Mar- Martellus Bennett trade was so important for yeah. the team to get him for basically nothing, and to have another tight end. Because when everybody comes out with those numbers, well, the Patriots without Gronk or this, they never they've never had a tight end like Bennett, right? And they've never had a receiver really like Hogan, or even you know what some of the receivers they can do. And so, I think it's just the stats stat you have to throw out. Look, Gronk would be a huge factor in this game, no question. Yeah. But Bennett can be a huge factor in this game, too. If he's and healthy. Brady's the, if he's healthy. But Brady's the factor in the game. I mean, this game comes down to 
Brady's ability to put the ball in the right spot, throw the ball right where he needs to put it, and not turn the ball over, and Matt Ryan's ability to do the same for his team, and who can do it consistently the longest for the game is going to be the team that wins. And the way Brady played two weeks ago is a good sign for this game. You know, and right. maybe this it will is, be the walk off homer of his career where he just he's just awesome and he throws for look when Brady knows yards. what coverage you're in. Yeah. When Brady knows what you're in before the ball hits his hand on the snap, when he understands that you're playing cover three, or if he understands you're playing cover one with trail technique, then that's when you're at most vulnerable. And if he's comfortable in the pocket and he doesn't have to worry about Michael Bennett screaming off the edge and he feels really good that Marcus Cannon can block Vic Beasley, yeah. then the next thing that happens is he's going to be precise with the football. Right. Well, the Falcons, the nobody, believes, nobody believed in us factor scares me a little with the Falcons, but at the same time, the line hasn't moved since they put it up. It's been three, and, and it's people are betting both sides. I've heard cases for the Falcons. Lately, you're hearing a little bit more of, oh, actually, I think the Pats are going to blow them out. But I think for the most part, I, I think it would be hard to play the nobody believes in this case because they're no, three, they three point that card against Green Bay. Yeah. They played that card against and Green Bay. And that was Bay fair. Yeah, but what's funny is they were favored against Green Bay. But yeah, that week was an Aaron Rodgers coronation. And it was insulting because the Falcons had a much better team. And, you know, I mean, even you were very late coming to the Falcons, but even you you went into that game thinking, yeah, they're going to kill the Packers. They're just faster. Yeah, because the Packers had the Packers have no the Packers had nothing they could like like they had nothing they could hang their hat on on defense. Yeah. And everything resided on Aaron Rodgers being absolutely perfect. And any time they punted, they were in trouble. And then they're playing on the road. And I think all those factors weighed in. Now, to me, this is a level playing field. You know where the the Patriots don't have the, the Falcons don't have that advantage, and you know, look, both teams have done a really good job of protecting the football. I mean, make no mistake about that. Both teams have. I think you can go through and and I mean, the Patriots have 19 takeaways. They've given up and uh, scored 78 points, and they've only given the ball six away for 27. The Falcons have 13 takeaways for 59, and they have one giveaway for zero points in the last six games. It's remarkable. I have one last question. Really remarkable. I have two more questions for you very quick. Um, what, were rea- what was your reaction to Bernice having twins? I was really happy. I wanted to know where to send the baby gifts. Plural. Yeah. I was very excited for Bernice. Everybody in my family loves Bernice me. and Jay-Z, congratulations to them. That was great. <laughs> Who do you like in the, uh, the Willows versus Brentwood seventh grade basketball championship game today at Windward, three o'clock? Uh, I think uh, you, is is uh, Chloe playing for Willows? <laughs> Zoe, yeah, <laughs> Chloe, Chloe and Bernice are going to be Zoe. there. Zoe, Zoe, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Zoe. Uh, Zoe's from, I, I'm all I'm all in on Zoe. Uh, great, I'm all in. I think I'm we're favored. Think so. so we really? have a, we have a team. Where, all where's cousin Sal's Where's cousin Sal's money going? So I think he'd bet on the Willows. But the thing is, we're we have a whole team of sixth graders, and we're in the league is sixth and seventh grade. And the finals are today, and I'm out of my mind. Between this and the Super Bowl, uh, I just I can't handle it. It's, just it's, don't mush it. Just do not mush it. Make all right, I sure won't we bet don't on have it. anybody there mushing. I won't all bet right, on it, it. And I'm gonna I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try to behave myself in the stance. Oh my yeah, god! Just, just make sure, make sure you, you sit away from everybody. Go Willow. Don't let anybody hear you talk. I was proud of myself. Go, I only sent you. I only sent our coach three emails during the season. I was proud. The over under <laughs> was like fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll talk to you over the weekend. Mike Lombardi, thanks, thanks so much. Bill. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks to uh, the one and only Brian Curtis. Thanks to Mike Lombardi. Thanks to Stamps.com. 
Remember, Valentine's Day is coming. Avoid the post office during the holidays. Buy and print official U.S. postage with your own computer and printer. Sign up for Stamps.com. Use promo code BS for a four-week trial that includes postage and a digital scale. Click on the microphone at the top of the Stamps.com homepage and type in BS. Don't go to the post office anymore. Just stop. That place is awful. Thanks to Simply Safe. Thanks again. They give you superior protection for less than half of what traditional companies charge. Even better, there are no annual contracts and no middlemen. Protect your home the smart way. Visit simplysafe.com slash ringer to get 10% off your system today. That's Simply Safe with two eyes. Simplysafe.com slash ringer. Watch a couple home invasion movies this weekend. Those things are scary. Just get an alarm system for God's sakes. Thanks to Casper. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash BS using offer code BS. Thanks to the ringer.com. Thanks to the New England Patriots. Thanks to Tate Frazier. Thanks to Pearl Jam. Go to pearljam.com right now to find out all the details about PJ25. It's their 25th anniversary coming up. Thanks to my dad for coming out here this weekend and watch Super Bowl with me. Go Patriots. Play us out, Eddie.